0: And welcome to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cine nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host Nick. Hello! Thank you for joining us again today for another conversation about some of our favorite films. Give us a follow on Twitter at Kinotomic or send us an email at Kinotomic at gmail.com. And tell us what your favourite Corn Brother films are. They're like a two-headed writer, director, aren't they? It's it's hard to talk about one without the other. It's like yeah. two for one.
1: Yeah, I think I think on, on IMDB and on Letterboxd, like it's either directed by Joel Cohen or directed by Ethan Cohen. You know, every now and then it's Joel and Ethan Cohen, but you can't really have one and the other and not the other. Um like they, they're very much. It is, it is the Coen brothers. Like, like you said, you just can't have one and not the other. Um, yeah. Which is going to make it weird when um, apparently there's going to be a version of Macbeth coming out either next year or the year after, um, directed, written and directed solely by Joel Coen. So. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like you said, like you, you, we can't really. In this conversation in particular, when we talk about these in our two films today, and I'm sure we'll reference other Coen Brothers films, you can't just not talk about one and not the other. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like a two for one deal. And uh, I think I've read somewhere that early in their career, they they had to flip a coin as to who gets the producer uh, um, or the writer credit and who gets direct, director credit because they were both working together. And you probably know about Roderick Jaynes. Uh... The, the made up name as the editor, because apparently you can't have two names as an editor, as editor credit. So whenever you see someone named Roderick Jaynes as the editor of the Coen Brother films, it's just them two.
1: Huh. <laughs> I didn't know that. I actually didn't know that.
0: Yeah, and I think he, I think Roderick James got an Oscar nomination for No Country for Old Men. If I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure.
1: That sounds like, um, that sounds like with uh, adaptation where um, Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman both got nominated for best screenwriting, but. The fact was Donald uh, Donald Kaufman didn't exist. Um, <laughs> it was just a joke on the part of the film. Um, okay, which is quite funny.
0: So in this episode, we shall be discussing two of the uh, Conrad's films chosen by me and Nick, which one of us hasn't seen. So let's see. Let's start with the earlier film, the The Man Who Wasn't There, released two thousand and one. And here is a quick synopsis. A laconic, chain-smoking barber blackmails his wife's boss and lover for money to invest in dry cleaning, but his plan goes terribly wrong. Nick, what did you think of the man who wasn't there?
1: I um, I I didn't know anything about this film, um. So, so there's only I, I, before, obviously, before watching this film, there are only three Coen Brothers films I hadn't seen prior to you Know all this thing going on. It was this, it was the Hudsacker and uh Intolerable Cruelty. Now, I know uh Intolerable Cruelty, I know you know random things about that. You know, it's a rough premise. Same with Hudsacker Proxy, I know about that's kind of rough, rough kind of premise. But with a man who wasn't there, I literally knew nothing. Um, <laughs> I didn't even think I knew it was in black and white until, until it started, really. Um <laughs> So one thing that kind of kind of blew me away with this was that you know the the Coen brothers the Coen brothers you know they they never have shied away from like darkness or bleakness or black <laughs> if that makes any sense um in their work. I we mean, think about their debut film Blood Simple, you know that's a very very it's is a horror film at times. Um yeah. And you know, also think about how utterly bleak "No Country for Old Men" is, or you know how things end up going in, in "Miller's Crossing." Um, I think it's with this, like I did not expect this, and um, so as the film kind of got going, I was like, I was like, "This is okay. This is a Barbary as a wife, and they're having an affair," and and then. John Polito shows up, and I think, oh, this is okay, right? It's I I can't really see where this is gonna go, and then it just sort of then goes and does its thing. Um, so before I kind of end up talking about that and the ending, um, which I kind of do want to touch on, I I just want to say that this film is utterly, utterly gorgeous. Um, yes. somehow. I totally missed the start of the film when the credits were coming up. but it was uh, the cinematographer was Roger Deakins. Yes,
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know how I missed that. Um, I think I, I saw I saw the credits for all the actors, and uh, you know I saw John Polito and Jan- James Gandolfini, and I was like, "Oh, that's, that's really nice." And and then I don't know, maybe I was taking a drink or something. And I just totally missed it. So the film, the film, uh, it clearly takes inspiration from. Um, funnily enough, the noir films of the 40s, um, in mind we've just come from a noir season in our podcast where our last film was a noir and a Christmas episode and we're now doing, you know, another noir episode in our Christmas month. Um, you know, and the film kind of looks as though, it looks like a Coen Brothers film that was shot in the 40s, it was put in a capsule, dug up 60 years later and then restored by some film company looking brand new in a 4k restoration if that makes any sense and it just it just looks so good i mean you can't you can't really have a film taking place in this era in black and white without having the care and attention to lighting makeup costume set design that that the coen brothers clearly have put the work in to make to make it work you know and it, it does look it does look utterly, utterly gorgeous. Um Joining the Cinematography is kind of one of my other, one of my favourite things in this movie is is the score um from Carter Burwell. I think that's how you say his name. Um obviously it's kind of intersect with uh, uh pieces of classical music, no, notably uh, Beethoven. Um yeah. somehow this this it just makes the film feel more tragic and bleak if that makes any sense it just yeah um and then with so with with all right so with the coen brothers film you know you end up having these delightfully rounded characters that only show up for small amounts of time. Like, they may kind of pop up repeatedly, but they're only really on screen for a certain period of time. And, I think only the Coen brothers can pull this off. You know, it's almost as though that they've written characters that are fully realised, they have larger parts in the scripts, they've filmed all these larger parts for them, and yet then they've cut them back out, they've cut them out in the edit. Obviously that's not actually true, but like, that's kind of the only way, really, to describe it. I'm thinking about how, um, you know, uh, Richard Jenkins' character kind of shows up and he kind of has this kind of yeah. weird inflection about him when he's drinking and he's clearly got some sort of drinking problem. He's got an obsession with genealogy, which is really quite interesting. And then you've got the brother-in-law um, who, who clearly doesn't shut up and has got some kind of... Some, gone wrong in his kind of background to kind of make him, you know, want to regress. Like, there's these elements of all these like elements of characters and you think, oh this is Yeah it's it's you know, you know what I mean? Like it's fully rounded.
0: Yeah, and I think I know I yeah, I think that's what they do. And I'll get to to that in a minute when I explain how they got the idea for the film.
1: Okay um i thought i thought billy bob thornton's performance was was uh, extraordinarily reserved and controlled um thoughtful and pensive i think is kind of the right word um so like i i i, I have seen i i, I didn't say I, i've seen many films of billy bob i haven't i mean there's uh armageddon he's in armageddon um and he's in, uh, I saw the first season of Fargo, he was in the first season of Fargo and um, uh, Bad Santa as well, and his performances in Fargo and in Armageddon in particular, like there's this quirkiness and energy about him and he kind of translates that energy somewhat in Bad Santa as well, where there's this kind of like this weird energy about him, and in this like, there's none of that, it's just so controlled, um, like he does look. So like the way he looks, he looks like a protagonist from the forties. Um, I
0: think he's. A, I don't think he's ever been sexier than in this film. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of his. I love him. I think he's a great actor. I think he's brilliant.
1: Um. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I. I. Okay. I mean, yeah. Um. I thought Billy Bob. I thought Billy Bob was 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 really 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 fucking good. Um, and then got like all the characters kind of surrounding him. I mean, this is clearly his film, but it wouldn't be a Coen Brothers film without a, a supporting cast of of actors that like they've all got recognizable faces, and you recognise them from other things. And but you they they kind of they have this um, character to them. So, like, obviously, Francis McDormand, um, Tony Shaloub as, as, the, as the lawyer. Um, yep. I, I love Tony Shaloub. And then you get the late greats of, of John Polito and, and James Gandolfini. Um, they were all excellent, all excellent. Um, I really, really liked the, the, the sequence for James Gandolfini where he kind of breaks down in tears. And this is an actor that is known for Tony Soprano. Yeah. Um, you see him kind of subvert his star persona at that moment and it's really really impressive um and i, I gotta say i love i love seeing john Polito do his thing um i really really do he, he, i love it when he shows up in these coen brothers films and he has these these moments that he's he's just sort of such great uh, he had such great energy and such a great look about him and you know how i was saying about how last week you know there are there are actors that kind of work with the dialogue and they they they, they belong with the, that director. John Polito belongs... He belongs in, in a Coen Brothers film, always. Yeah, yeah. does. Um, so, on to, like, the kind of, like... the, the, the Actually talking about the film now. Um, I kind of sat at the end... I kind of just sat watching the credits and kind of just wondering what it was that the Coen Brothers were trying to say about the film. With, I'm going to say about the film, but with the film, and obviously you get the the, the, the Tony Shalhoub thing of saying like, was it the more you, the more you find out, the less it makes sense. That's right. Is that right? And the more you look at it, the less it makes sense. Yeah. Um, which and then he he, he he he's clearly ref talking about Schrodinger, but doesn't get his name right. Um, with the whole, if you look at it, you're changing the outcome. So you you have that part of the, that part of the film where if the more you look into the plot, the clearly is not going to make any sense. But the way I, I see it is that I feel that like the Coen Brothers are kind of showing that with by pointing at what they do is that with with the film is that they are pointing out that our lives, or or specifically. The life of Ed Crane and 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 those surrounding him in, in this in this world of the film It's just kind of one big cosmic joke. Um, yeah. I think how like you have the visions of the flying saucer, you've got the the the, the report on Roswell, and you have got the 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 odd sequence with Anne Nerdlinger where she talks about alien abdu- alien abduction. Uh, abduction. Yeah. And I think maybe like Coen Brothers are just kind of saying that. All these silly little games of of blackmail, murder and trials and tribulations, you know, youth and old age that are in this film. It's all just kind of meaningless in the grand scheme of
0: things. It all Um, amounts to the same thing. Sorry? It all amounts to the same thing. It does,
1: yeah. And it's kind of a very, very nihilistic point of view. Um, You know, and it's really fitting that you kind of end this film with the walk to the chair. And at yeah. that moment, with that walk, I honestly, I didn't believe he was actually going to die. Like, <laughs> I, I, I honestly thought there was going to be a definite chance of something actually coming to light of him being saved. But then I, was, I think it was like, to be honest, does he deserve to be?
0: He does deserve to die because he's the one who actually killed Big Dave.
1: And uh, yeah, I mean, it blackmailed him and set off this chain of events. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, he, so... did, he did do it in, in self-defense. But uh,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah.
0: Because he was he was being choked, wasn't he?
1: <sighs> yeah, I mean, he could have stabbed him in the arm or something, but it was the neck. Um, yeah. And uh, so, I kind of one 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 other thing before I kind of leave the floor to you. Um, there is a reading of this film that is definitely. There's definitely a queer reading to the film to kind of throw in some film theory a little bit. Um, So I think specifically of the fact that the the, the reference to the men's magazines at the end, there is the way that um, uh, Ed kind of turns down John Polito yeah. Um, it's just there's just and there's a there's a there's an underlying theme of being ashamed of doing something wrong that it. is you know James Gandolfini you know he's cheating on his wife and he's ashamed about it and he's scared which is a a very very it's a recurring theme with how you know gay you know you see it in other films with with gay men who are married and they are ashamed but but their wives and all that you see that as a recurring thing in films like that so there, for me to kind of go into more about it to do you know i' am gonna have to see the film again, but i'm I'm hundred percent sure that there's going to be somebody else that's picked up on this um okay. there's just there's there, there is just something about the film that just it honestly does read like a like a like a reading like a queer reading of the film um and kind of knowing the Coen brothers, it wouldn't surprise me if that if that was an intentional thing um so yeah, no, I I I honestly really, really enjoyed I really, really loved that uh, enjoyed this film. Yes, I really, really did.
0: Cool. So yeah, um a bit about the production. So you said that you hadn't seen the Hud Hudsucker H- 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 Proxy. I haven't. I
1: known.
0: I think I've I've seen it a long time ago and I don't remember much of it about it, but I do remember that um Tim Robbins is in it and he's quite funny. And they, the Joe and Ethan Cohen came up with the story of the man who wasn't there when working on the hot Sucker proxy. So they were filming a scene in the barbershop and they saw a prop poster of 1940s haircuts. And then they started thinking about a story about the barber who was in that poster. And I think that's that kind of ties in with what you were saying earlier about how. They always come up they always create characters and they create st- backstories of people, and they always think about who's who's this person, what's their story so they always i think they always always have that in the back of their minds, and from a poster to come up with a whole film, I think that's quite extraordinary and um I found this interesting um fact about the in a night in a 2017 book um, by Ian Nathan. Apparently, Joel Cohen called Billy Bob Thornton, who they knew, who he knew socially, um, to say that they had a film for him. And Billy Bob Thornton asked what was what it was about, and the response was, "It's about a barber who wants to be in the dry cleaning business." I'll take it, says Thornton, who had been a long time a fan of the Coen's and he just said, they don't suck. He he signed on the project without reading a line of the script. It was just on the spot. And it's one of those things that people would love to work with with the with the Coen brothers without reading. It's like with Wes Anderson, I think. Yeah, definitely. So I know the when I first... Saw so the title of the film. I think that's the, one of the reasons I watched it in the first place was because um, I thought it was kind of related or inspired by Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock's *The Man Who Knew Too Much*. Um, it's like, the setting is is very different, but I think it does make it does make you relate to other Hitchcock films like maybe *Shadow of, of a Doubt*. I don't know if you've seen that but I do, think half, got, yeah. I, I do think it's got quite a, a few references to Shadow of the Doubt in terms of the eeriness of it and also inspired by another film we, we we had on our podcast I was re-watching it the other day and one of the scenes in the jail made me think of The Night of the Hunter and the way they used the light and the, 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 the ceiling how angled it was and how the light was kind of coming like Almost church-like, and it was making me think of that film. Um, another influence of this uh, in this film, I think they've they even the brothers have said they were influenced by the writing of James M. Cain, who's famous for um, having written novels of Murdered Pierce and The Postman Always Rings Twice. And they were also influenced by uh, Jacques Tourneur's noir masterpiece Out of the Past. Speaking of noir. Uh, I found some interesting reviews when the film came out from The Atlantic and the New York Times, and there's a really interesting article article from the New York Times. And when you were talking about what what it makes you think of, like what's the meaning of this film, I think I think I've found an answer that I kind of agree with. Quote. Like Mr. Lynch, the Coens have used the noir idiom to fashion a haunting, beautifully made movie that refers to nothing outside itself and that disperses like a vapour as soon as it's over. The critique of this kind of filmmaking is obvious enough. Not only is there more to life than movies, there is more to movies than making reference to other movies. But in the case of The Man Who Wasn't There, it is possible to put such objections aside and luxuriate, in the intelligent moviness of the experience. End quote. So yeah, I think it's just like you said, it's such a gorgeous film. Everything is so precise and everything is so well rehearsed that you just you don't really care that much about the story. I mean the story does make you kind of, you know, wonder what's out there. But I do I do like the performances and I really like the the cinematography and the 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 writing is also quite interesting. And yeah, I'll I'll link to the article. Um it's slightly a bit longer, so I'll link to it in the show notes. Um so yeah, I'm really I am really a big fan of, of Bob Bill Thornton's uh since I've I think I've seen him in The Monsters Ball and Sling Blade. I rec- I really recommend Sling Blade. I think that's what made him famous if I'm not mistaken and yeah Frances McDormand can do no wrong in my opinion and I think she was beautifully photographed here as the more or less fan fatale <laughs> but yeah I'm glad you enjoyed it
1: yeah no I I did <laughs> so like I'm not I'm not like um, what's the word I'm not like amazingly I don't I don't think this is top tier Cohen, like you know, five star Cohen brothers film. I, I it's think It's not. I think it is like a solid four star Cohen film. If that makes any sense.
0: Well, it's not. I mean, it's not. It's not become cult classic like some of the other films that we will not mention because we've been banging on about them for so long. Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think I th- it would be interesting. Like after we talk about um the next film, be interesting to kind of gauge, you know what what classes is as as a top tier Cohen. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think I just want to touch on that before we kind of finish up because I don't because of the premise of this podcast, I don't actually think we're going to end up talking about the Cohen brothers ever again. Um. <laughs> So Fair enough since so we've like, not
0: we've seen most of them.
1: Yeah. I think I think we've got to take this chance to talk about talk about them because otherwise we've we've missed something. So um Are you, are you done with the I man am, who wasn't yes. there? Cool. Um so we move on to uh inside uh, Lewin Davis from two thousand thirteen. Um from the Coving Brothers, obviously. Uh, I've got a brief synopsis. Um in Greenwich Village in the early nineteen sixties, gifted but volatile folk musician Lewin Davis struggles with money, relationships, and his uncertain future following the suicide of his singing partner. Um this one stars Oscar Isaac in the in the title role with Kerry Mulligan, John Goodman, Garrett Hedlund, Justin Timberlake, Adam Driver, uh, F. Murray Abraham shows up at one point. Um, so yeah, Danny, what did you think of inside Lewin Davis?
0: Yeah, it's quite a cast, isn't it? Just a bit. <laughs> yeah, so you you have certain expectations you even though it's not it's it's not um photographed by the great Roger Deakins, like we've mentioned, um the man who wasn't there was. You can see it's a it's a Coen Brothers film. I can't remember who um who was the cinematographer on this, but it is exceptionally. The, the cinematography is exquisite. They know what they want. They always know what they want. The the brothers, and it yeah you know it's it's a Coen Brothers film. Um, it, it was it was a beautiful short film. Great direction. Um. Yeah, I think that's kind of it with the positives, I'm afraid. Oh, really? Really? I really, I I tried. I, I mean, I felt, I just, I, fe- I felt, I was, I think it was, again, we, we go back to the idea of how, what we're expecting of, of a Cohen Brothers film. I felt disappointed. I didn't feel connected with any of the characters. It wasn't, like we discussed just now, it you, they have the idea of like well, I'm gonna create a character that has a backstory. I didn't really feel like that with this film. I'm just not. I'm not sure if it was supposed to be deliberate, but I wasn't drawn in not one bit. I think it was. I pfft. the only thing I really cared about throughout the film was that the cats. You know, <laughs> I wanted the cats to be okay because I I understand that more than one cat, and I understand how difficult it is to direct a cat and I would love to see the making of with the cat and I really hope there was no cruelty towards those adorable cats because they were just gorgeous and the humans they were all terrible people all of them I just didn't feel like anyone maybe the characters like the two Adam Driver's character and and um, Justin Timberlake's character who were quite oblivious of what was going on around them which wasn't much there was not much going on around them there was just music and not not great music at that um i don't know i don't know if it was just like supposed to be a slow burner that didn't really lead to anywhere i know that the the cones don't do any improv and i think in this film it shows more than any other film of theirs, because everything feels so rigid and rehearsed to a T, and everything is presented in a pristine manner where no wiggle room for anything else. It just feels like they had the there's no there's no soul to it. The performances are good, but they feel quite stifled and not very rich. I don't know if if I'm making any sense. I like Harry Mulligan in most things. But in this one, it just... The way she was delivering her lines, it just felt like one of those plays where she looks out in the horizon and she just says something that doesn't make sense to the rest of the conversation. It was a bit like that. And I just didn't... I mean, Oscar Isaac is a good actor. And he was okay in this. It just didn't... I didn't feel any compassion for any of the characters. I mean, Carrie Mulligan's character is supposed to be sleeping around, bohemian. That's another thing. It's supposed to be like bohemian, the village, New York, 60s. I didn't get that. It just didn't make me feel like it was the 60s in New York. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if we're comparing the two, the man who was in there, it it, it is the cold, it is the cold, the rigid, super stylized. Performance, but I think in that context it works because of it's it's a noir. It has a different tone. But with this, it's supposed to be about music. It's supposed to be about soul, and I didn't I didn't feel it. I'm sorry, I just didn't get it. I was I was I was throughout the film I was hoping that okay he's gonna play a song now and he's he's gonna show us how what he can do, and it just didn't take off for me okay sorry uh uh, yeah um okay i i don't know
1: i don't know what i was expecting with your response to be honest like because i'm you know i'm sure we'll go into some kind of into it but there are like there are a few types of coen brothers films and i do feel like this one is a lot more uh, I don't want to say shaggy. It kind of just feels does feel a bit shaggier than some of like the, the more focused ones. Um,
0: I I don't know. I think it was just. I was expecting more. It was so so much anger in all of the characters. Yeah. There was a lot of anger and a lot of indifference and and coldness and. Not enough emotion, and whenever someone showed emotion, they were being shunned out. I mean, when that, that dinner scene was was the only scene that kind of made me feel anything, and not it was like, how does this character explain himself now? He's just had a stupid outburst at the dinner table because someone asked him to play a song, and but that didn't actually go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry, I was just I think there's a reason I hadn't seen this film before because I'm not a big fan of folk music in general. Um and it just like the, the idea the, the the synopsis didn't really appeal to me.
1: Okay. Um okay. It's okay, I I'm I'm gonna I'm kinda gonna go on I'm gonna kinda take on from what you said. Um, but if you want to jump in with anything, just, just, just say, um, so I, I adore this film. Um, I saw I did, I first saw it in 2013 when it came out and it kind of, I, I did, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, at that time in my life, I kind of hadn't, you know, I was kind of interested in films like I'd seen films, but I didn't have like the like the what do you say like the cinematic knowledge like I do now like it you know you know what I mean I was naive I was young um <laughs> so like at that point in my life you know I, I had the whole world ahead of me and just kind of this film I kind of just enjoyed the songs and I I, I kind of thought it was funny the weird situations that the main, the main character was finding himself in um but seeing it now, it's really hit me a lot harder. Um, and I as I do at times I felt I kind of really identified with what Llewellyn was going through. Um Llewellyn, uh, Llewellyn sorry. Um <laughs> Yeah.
0: Llewellyn's in the, the other the other film. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Llewellyn. Um you know <laughs> Especially how things are at the moment. Um, I just... You know, he, he is a character there. So he, he's unable to get a break. He's kind of scrounging to get by. He's relying on those around him to kind of survive. Um, and then when there's a kind of a chance of something happening for him, it doesn't pay off, even though he takes a huge gamble at doing that. And it just feels like this... Kind of like... He's kind of a, a loss... Um and there's this final moment where he plays his last song at the gaslight and I just feel like this is kind of gonna be it for him, like he's kind of there's nowhere really else for him to go except to continue doing what he's doing and just spiral and spiral and spiral down and he just feels as though he's at the wrong time. And that is kind of summed up by the person that followed him after did you recognize who that was
0: yeah
1: yeah <laughs> um well,
0: i mean you'd have to be blind and deaf not to recognize that
1: yeah but like i mean i uh, yeah i mean it's, it's bob dylan and like for for thisness, this, you know yeah
0: it was bob dylan
1: it was bob dylan so we kind of get this thing of this guy who wants to become you know a a popular folk singer you know he's clearly talented but he's missing something that will kind of grant him the, the stratospheric rise that Bob Dylan achieved, you know, and you think about when Bob Dylan kind of kicked off and the acts that kind of came out around him, you know Simon Garfunkel in particular, you know like he Lewin would have fit in with that crowd, you know like he's no he's not a part of the fifties lot, which is what Al Cody kind of represents and um oh, what's yeah. the name of that what's the name of that kid um the army guy
0: troy Are you right?
1: troy yeah so no? troy nelson yeah so he, he you know that, that kind of johnny cash kind of thing going on in, in the 50s you know he he's he's on the verge of he's on he's on the the cusp of something just about to kick off and it's not coming off for him because he's at, at the wrong time um, you know, it's a very, very young Bob Dylan that shows up because he's playing the Gaslight, and it's a tiny ass venue, and there isn't a rapturous applause when he attends the the, the 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 stage. So it's clearly a a very, very early Bob Dylan. Um, so yeah, like there's just something about this film that kind of really, really hit me harder um, uh, this viewing around and. I know when you know, I kind of hinted at it, but like I do, I do see this as my own personal favorite Coen Brothers film, as in the wow. one that kind of hits me, as the one that I feel kind of gets to me personally, if that makes any sense. Um, I think I think it's the one that kind of resonates with me on a personal level, and it's kind of the one that I'm more than happy to kind of have on. I listen to the soundtrack quite a lot as well. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I like, I kind of like, I don't listen to Bob Dylan, but I like Simon and Garfunkel, I do listen to them quite a lot, and this, the music that's in this is kind of a nice companion piece to it. Um, you get that, you get the excellent, uh, Please Mr. Kennedy, um, which <laughs> is, which is an excellent, excellent scene. I love that scene, and I love that song. Um, so... Onto onto some behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, There's kind of an excellent behind-the-scenes story of how the Coen brothers ended up filming in their old apartment um, that they used to own in in New York. They were in New York, and they ended up coming across a cab driver who lived in their old apartment. And they ended up offering the guy, like, 10 grand to film in the the, the apartment for a week. Um, And then the story goes... I'll link to the show notes, the link to it. But the, the story goes that the guy... Um ended up losing the money at a casino and then he broke his arm and then it robbed him of his livelihood because he couldn't drive. Um which is kind of like a really coen esque character in real life, I feel. Um the music uh while while it is you know, it it I I really like it and, and I think it's very, very good when it's performed by, by Oscar Isaac um Oscar Isaac uh Justin Timberlake obviously Kerry Mulligan Adam Driver along alongside quite a few others all performed to their music live there was no like lip syncing it was all live it was all done on on live the only exception i think was the the quartet singing the old triangle um that we that we hear towards the end of the film um what what did you what did you think of of Kind of the music performances when they when they did happen.
0: I thought they were okay, but I wasn't moved. No. Sorry. No, no, it was no, no, just no. like okay, I, I get it, I suppose. It wasn't. I mean, I. I don't know. I mean. I don't know what to say it's not it, it's folk music there's not much I know about folk music
1: no no it's fine
0: other than you know Bob Dylan and, I mean, and it, Simon it, and I mean you,
1: you know there's the, there's the way that um John Goodman speaks in the car he goes you know yeah gee, gee, you know he does it, and he does the, the the course and he says that's kind of all you know is a folk singer um not a real musician um
0: I thought they had good voices and they could play the guitar very well. Um, but I wasn't. Yeah, it's it, not my cup of tea.
1: What did you think of Adam Driver? Because I know you're a big fan of his.
0: I love him. I love him in anything. I thought what? he was goofy in that in 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 that rendition of what was it, Mr. Kennedy?
1: Please, Mr. Kennedy. Yeah. Please,
0: Mr. Kennedy. Um. Yeah, but he was very like you could see him what was it, five minutes on screen that was oh, it yeah. about that I was expecting more of him
1: yeah Um. in in uh with with Oscar Isaac um, they said in an interview with the New York Times which I'll link to in the show notes Um. they said that uh, Oscar came in and he said most actors if you ask them if they play guitar they'll say they play guitar for 20 years what they really mean is they've owned a guitar for 20 years Oscar's actually played guitar since he was little. You know, he played, and we sent the tape to T-Bone, and T-Bone said, This guy's actually a better musician than a lot of the studio guys I work with. So we went, we found him. Uh, T-Bone, being T-Bone Burnett, who worked with the directors on The Big Lebowski and uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, Which is the film that they say Inside Louis Davis is a continuation of, music-wise. You can kind of see that, like the music in Oh Brother kind of. Is the precursor to this?
0: Yeah, I couldn't see that. I mean, yeah. Old Brother is so much better in so many... I, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Okay. I just... I have not... I wish I had more good things to say about it.
1: I mean, can't like them all, you know?
0: I know. I know. It was just...
1: Ugh. I mean, I, 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 felt I know... It was
0: so much... It's so different from... I I actually read somewhere that they they thought... It was a continuation to to Old Brother though um especially when at the end it turns out that the cat's name is called Ulysses. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't didn't connect the two. I think Old Brother is so much better and so much entertaining and adorable and so soulful.
1: Yeah. There's an energy to that film, isn't there? there is like a, my, yeah,
0: I didn't feel any energy with this one. It just felt a lot of anger with the main I, character. And I think I would understand him being angry, but don't be angry at the people who are trying to help you, like the professor.
1: I wasn't angry at the professor. He was angry at his wife trying to sing along and do Mike's part. And I can kind of understand where he's coming from. Obviously, I don't condone his behaviour and say, yes, you should lash out at somebody who's really trying to you know, just do something nice, but you know, he he clearly does show that he struggles with the loss of Mike and yet this woman does this thing and it's clearly hit him in the wrong way.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and you get that oh you get that scene at the end with F. Murray Abraham um not the it's really at the end really, it's like three quarters of the way through the film. Um Bud Grossman I think that's yeah. his name, Bud Grossman. And, you know, he does Oscar Isaac performs what well, I think is the best song in the film, which is "Mary uh, Queen Jane." Um, I, 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 it, it kind of hits hits me hard that it kind of really shocked me. when you say that like, the film doesn't have a heart, doesn't have a soul, and yet there's this song that's being played, and there's I, I feel every note, I feel every pain in his voice when he's singing it. Um, I just found that really uh, I, each to their own. I, I, I suppose. Yeah um and then bud grossman just turns around you know he's just like you know i don't see money from it
0: um, <laughs> i'm bud grossman i'm not seeing it i'm not seeing. It. yeah and All he's right. like
1: he's like you know get back together with your partner <laughs> you know um it makes that sense. Was, to you yeah have
0: that was painful
1: um you know uh yeah um, to kind of a, kind of finish up on the positive, really, uh, with what you were saying with the cinematography. So the cinematographer is a guy called Bruno Del Bonel, um, who... I think this is the first time he worked with the Coen brothers, um, but he has since worked with the Coen brothers on the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, he was the cinematographer for, um... I mean, you've got... You've got, uh sorry tim burton's uh dark shadows and big eyes uh he was also the cinematographer for harry potter and the half-blood prince um and Ooh. also for probably most well known as the cinematographer for amelie um which is oh, a okay. film i haven't seen i haven't You've seen, not amelie. seen amelie no i haven't yes Ooh. we can chuck this on the fourth on the list um Very so in that. an interview with the um the american society so, it the american society of cinematographers a s c um they got this uh, an incredible kind of deep dive into the technical aspects of the filming of the film uh with with bruno um so I got a quote here uh the cinematographer recalls that the visual brief from the Coen brothers was deceptively simple. They said they wanted a slushy New York. When I suggested the album cover for the freewheeling Bob Dylan, they said they had that image in mind as well. In that picture, Dylan walks with a woman on a New York street under a wintry sky. He is wearing a jacket that doesn't seem quite warm enough, and they are treading on dirty melted snow. We had to feel the winter and that dirty feeling when the snow starts to melt, said Dalbanel. Um oh. I think they really, really kind of capture that. It's kinda of like a haziness to it um in that in that interview you know which i of course will link to the show notes because it really really is quite interesting it goes into real really deep technical detail which i won't go into here um into how they kind of achieved that kind of diffused and hazy look of the film um so i like i said that how the man who wasn't there feels like it could have been from the 40s um, due to like you know the lighting, the the, the cinematography, the, the construction of sets, that kind of thing. Like you pointed out, Night of the Hunter. You know, I I, I saw that as well. Mm. Um, and I feel like with Inside Lewin Davis, the film does feel like an album cover from the early '60s, kind of just have, have this kind of look of being dusty, unplayed in years, and kind of full of memories that have long since been forgotten. Um, it it does. I I I I yeah. I really really love this film. Um, before we finish up with this, um, there is a short snippet of an interview that uh, Guillermo del Toro conducted with the Coens on the subject of this film. that's on the Criterion website. Um, the full forty-minute version of the, the the interview is on the Criterion edition of the film, the the Criterion disc, uh, which I don't think is available in the UK um because of reasons i think it might be i, d- I don't i'm not actually too sure um but i will link to the, the this kind of uh, you know video snippet in, in the show notes um so yeah that's that's kind of inside lewin davis which which i i do rate as a top tier cohen brothers film but purely because of my own personal
0: <laughs> fair enough
1: kind of associations with the film um and i'm just, i'm i'm suggest i'm saying that you don't you, you you're you not ranking this as top tier cohen
0: no. no
1: what what no. would be for you then
0: um top tier mm-hmm. well um, no country for all men absolutely oh brother where at thou the big lebowski fargo fargo is probably my favorite Miller's Crossing. Barton Fink, Raising Arizona. Um, I really liked burn After reading as well. I know many, many people didn't.
1: I like that one. I.: did, oh, I, I did,
0: did I did really like it. I, I'm still kind of unsure how I feel about the best, the um, ba- um, ballad of Buster Scruggs. It was a very strange film because I was like, you know, Buster Scruggs dies in the first like 20 minutes and you're like, what? What's happening? Um, Which was funny. Um, There's there's a
1: bleakness to that film as well. There is
0: a, oh my God. I mean, the stories are so bleak. I'm still haunted by the story. I can't even remember what it was called, but the one where um, Liam Neeson's in and the armless Oh, actually... the
1: kid! Yeah, the guy that plays um, what's his face? Dudley, Dudley in Harry Potter. Dudley,
0: yeah. Yeah. Her- oh, Her- Henry Melling. Yeah. I really think he's really good. He was in um, what film? I saw him recently. Oh, um, The Devil All the Time. I've not seen he that. In, he was in that, and he's. I think he's becoming to. He's becoming a really good actor.
1: I think I, the the one that really gets me is uh, the one that's called the gu- the gal who got rattled, um, just, you know the the one with the, What's do they call it like, the journey across the west, and oh, then they yes. get caught up with the oh, Native yes. Americans. Yeah,
0: that was terrible too.
1: Um, yeah, there a, like that film kind of starts off with this incredibly, like, weird surreal thing, you know, Buster Scruggs. And then yeah. it just goes into one after the other, and then it ends with that that final one with the stagecoach, which is clearly an allegory for dying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I really like the, the the story of the prospector as well. I'm I'm a big Tom Waits fan, so any anything he's in, it just goes with me.
1: Um, I th- I think like,
0: but. I don't think I would call the Battle of Buster Scruggs top top tier, Cohen. Yeah. I think, I mean, I've already, yeah, yeah.
1: I think like, I mean, I've got obviously No Country, uh, Big Lebowski, Fargo is also one of my favourites. It's probably the one I've seen the most of. Um, I think True Grit is astonishing. Um, I think a serious man is extremely underrated. Um, I
0: like a serious man. Sorry. I like a serious man.
1: Yeah, I think Raising Arizona is is amazing. I uh, really Barton. I really love Barton. Think, and then you know, like so I suppose, like between like the four and four and a half bracket, I've got like Buster Scruggs, Hail Caesar, Blood Simple after reading O oh Brother, Miller's Crossing and, and Man Who Wasn't There. Um, I think, you know, like, their hit rate is astonishing. And I,
0: Yeah, they I mean, they, to quote um, Billy Bob Thornton, they just don't suck.
1: <laughs> I mean, they did with the Lady Killers, but... That uh... will... Uh,
0: <laughs> Intolerable Cruelty wasn't very good either.
1: <laughs> Sorry?
0: I don't think.
1: I've Intolible not seen that crude. one, so...
0: Yeah, I mean... It was okay
1: um yeah i mean you know it was quite funny you're saying that how like actors would on to a project without even like you know can you imagine being tom hanks be like yeah i work with the coen brothers and and does yeah. the lady killers yeah. um Let's i would say you know i would say the same with george clooney but you know he'd worked with them before so it's not really the problem but with him.
0: yeah i mean george clooney was probably the you know, Siriana aside, and Michael Clayton aside, I think George Clooney was never better in, than in *Old Brother Worth, though.
1: Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a bold I'm one. trying
0: to think of what else he's done that was as good as *Old Brother. Um, in which, I think, I in think, which he takes the piss out of himself so much.
1: I think Michael Clayton is his best performance. Well, that's what um, I said, you know, Michael Clayton I think, aside. I think Up in the Air is really, really good as well. And I really, really like his performance in The
0: Descendants. Um, um Yeah. Okay, but not as. I mean, The Descendants was not as a good like. As a whole, I don't think it was as good a film as Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Okay. I just love the ensemble. I th- I just thought that you know.
1: Yeah. No. I I get it. I, I John do. John Tur-
0: and um. What's the what's the name of the other actor? I'm sorry.
1: Oh God, yeah. Now I can see his face. Tim Blake Nelson.
0: Tim Blake Nelson. Oh my God, they just they were so good together. They had such good chemistry.
1: Yeah, it's been a good few years since I've seen it, so I think I, I am. I think doing I've a seen
0: re-watch. it. It's one of those films, together with like you know The Big Lebowski and and Fargo and No Country for a Man. If if it's on, I will not. I will just sit down and watch it.
1: I think, yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. I could... I, no Country for All Men, I, I think, is the first film of theirs that I've seen in knowing it was theirs. I think I had seen, like, Fargo and The Big Lebowski before, but I didn't realise, oh, this is a film by the Coen brothers. And it was it was one of those... I think it, cause it, it, it came out in the same year as There Will Be Blood, and I think... These two films kind of made me realise how much I love films.
1: Yeah, same. <laughs> I have a hor- <laughs> I have a horrible confession though. So, um, No Country for All Men and They All With Blood came out in two thousand seven, uh two thousand and eight. Yeah. Um and back in that time I was about seventeen, eighteen, I was at college, and I had friends who um uh watched movies illegally on their PSPs and stuff and you know, what have you? And I got, I had a link to the website they used to use, and it's no longer active now. But they they used to use this website for downloading movies. And I had an iPod Touch, and uh, the first time I watched both No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood was on an iPod Touch because of screener season. Oh because no. I was, I was, I was like seventeen, eighteen, and at the time, like, I you don't know, I didn't. I, have, I don't
0: think you should have. You should have told this story. I know. It's, on, it's, on it's,
1: air. I know. I know. I know. I know. It's horrible, but like. That was kind of like my introduction to them. But because I had them on me at all times, I would watch them on repeat on my breaks in college. So, like, you know how it would work. You have, like, two-hour session in the morning and then you have, like, a four-hour break and then you have, like, two-hour session in the evening, in the afternoon. And then yeah. like in that break on, like, these days, I would just kind of sit and watch movies on my iPod Touch because I never owned a, a, a laptop, you know. This was... You know, I was like 17, 18. I never had my own laptop. You know, the iPod Touch was my only thing that was mine. And my dad and, you know, like, my dad was never like, oh, you need to see this film, you need to see that film. My mum was kind of like that with certain things. Um, She did it with uh, Raising Arizona uh, to keep it on the Coen, Coen Brothers film. She also did it with Star Wars as well, saying, like, you need to see Star Wars, you need to see Indiana Jones, all this kind of stuff. But, like, with Raising Arizona, she was like, you know, it's a really really good you know really really like it and i remember going like around about the same time going into my like, mates who have this dvd shop and they were like we're like you know used to hang out at the desk kind of like in clerks so you just hang out at the desk and just chat and <laughs> like basically that's basically all i did for like two years it was great i'd just chat about movies and like and like have these it used to be like we used to be like, chatting about movies and be like oh you really like Sam Raimi, don't you, Nick? I was like, yeah, yeah, Spider-Man is amazing. I love Evil Dead. And they're like, oh, well, um, Sam Raimi's also, like, worked with the Coens on, on you know, this. And Coen Brothers did this. And have you seen The Big Lebowski? And I was like, no, I haven't. It's just, oh, here's, here, get The Big Lebowski. And and then, you know, like, that was kind of like my introduction to The Coen Brothers being like, this is The Big Lebowski. And, and then I found out this was the same people that did The Co- No Country for Old Men and was kind of blown away by it. 'Cause they're two completely different films.
0: Yeah. They're very uh, talented.
1: Yes, they are. Um yes, they are. Uh <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to th- um trying to think how we can kind of finish up really. Um Okay, mm-hmm. alright. On on the spot, we're gonna get on the spot. Can you name your favourite Coen Brothers character on the spot?
0: Ooh.
1: First one that comes to your mind.
0: Carla Jean.
1: Where's that from? I can't think where that's from.
0: No Country for Old Men.
1: Oh, God, yeah, sorry. And my mind went blank then for a minute. <laughs> it
0: was just... It, I think it was influenced by the fact that I'm, I'm rewatching, watching um, I'm rewatching Boardwalk Empire and um, Kelly MacDonald was in it, and it was just... Her face uh, just appeared to me, and I just like, Oh, oh, Carla Jean.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think for me it's a Marge Gunderson...
0: I mean, yeah, Marge. I was probably gonna say Marge next. Yeah, because Frances McDormand is just is she's she's incredible. I was just yes. chatting out weekend with some friends about um, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and how great she was in it, and how deserved how she deserved that Oscar. And it's one of those very few instances where the Oscars go right for once.
1: Yeah, awarded of- her. It happens. It happens every now and then. It happens. Every
0: Very rarely.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of us done on the Coen brothers. I mean, so... unless there's anything else you want to say.
0: No. What have you got on for next week?
1: <laughs> so we're continuing our um, director December, as I'm calling it, um, with you know films which from directors where I've seen one, but Danny hasn't, and vice versa. Um so next week we are doing uh the French director, Henri George Georges Clouseau. Is that how you say his name?
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Fair I, um nice I i got proud of myself. I'll give myself a pat on the back for getting a French name correct. Um so we are watching uh The Wages of Fear from nineteen fifty three and uh Les Diabolique from nineteen fifty five. I've I've murdered that, haven't I?
0: Le diabolique.
1: There we go. Um for all French per- pronunciations, uh please uh, send all inquiries to Danny <laughs> uh in the future. So yeah, that's uh I'm that's looking
0: forward to that one.
1: Yeah. Um I'll be I'm interested in to get into to Wages of Fear. Um might be able to touch on its American remake for a, a tiny bit, but we'll get there. Um so oh. With all that in mind, uh, Danny, where can we find you on the internet?
0: You can find me on Twitter at kinojone and my website is kinojone.co.uk.
1: And you can find me on Twitter uh, at Chandler and my website is superatomovision.com. Um, I've given my website a facelift. It's got it's it looks different. I've kind of moved things around. Kind of made it a bit more user friendly and a bit cleaner. Um, A bit more professional, shall you say. I'm still kind of working on that Nightcrawler piece and the Jaws piece as well. Um, They may be up by the time that this episode is released, they may not be, but but, uh, in the meantime I will post them up on my Twitter. Um, Like Danny said earlier, give us a follow on Twitter, at Kino and our uh, gmail is Kino at Uh, gmail.com, dropping this email on there. Um so all that in mind, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me.
0: And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. with healthy If you make her a weather, who will play catch out in the back with that kid don't be just Mr.